Hi, this is Felix Chimeranyika, lead pastor of Kairos Christian Center in Lelonga, Malawi. I am happy that you have joined us for the Kairos Lelonga podcast, and I believe God is going to inspire you and break you through into your kingdom destiny as you hear the word unpacked. This is your Kairos moment, God's appointed season for your kingdom breakthrough. 2020 is the year of open doors. Hallelujah. And I believe that God has some powerful and great doors that are open for you. But you must be committed to His ways. God has open doors, but He's waiting for those people that will seek His ways, those that will seek His kingdom and His righteousness. Those ones, He's going to open these doors. And this is where it becomes very important for you and for me as Christians to really put our lives or, or frame our, our lives according to what God has for us. His kingdom, His righteousness are the number one things in our lives. And in actual fact, God has purposes that He wants us to fulfill in the earth. His people are called the church, isn't it? We are the church. And so as part of the church, you as an individual also have purposes that you must fulfill in the earth. In fact, when we go through the New Testament, we see that the church is created or has purposes, has five purposes that each and every individual, of, uh, individual in the church is also meant to fulfill. So, for example, or rather, number one would be, you know, evangelism or witnessing, witnessing about Jesus. There's also the part of worshiping and fellowshipping and discipling and ministering or serving. All these things are the pillars on which that we build our lives and God calls us that as we plan our lives, many of us, I'm sure, have 20, 20 New Year's resolutions. As we do our resolutions, as we plan our lives, that we plan our lives around these five pillars because these are the purposes for which God created us. And today we want to look at the first pillar, the first purpose, which is the purpose of witnessing. And from this passage, it's quite clear that God has opened doors for you to witness to the lost. So if we're to apply this passage to our context, our situations today, it would be a reminder that God has opened doors for us so that we can witness to the lost. Four concepts that come out of this text about how God has opened doors for us to witness to the lost. The first one is the provocation to witness. The provocation to witness. Witness stems from a compassion to see the lost saved. Witness stems from a compassion to see the lost saved. Let's go back again to Acts chapter number 17, uh, verse number 16. It says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Now, of course, this is chapter number 16. We've started the story in the middle of a story, right? And so what's happening is in the, in the previous verses, we find that Paul and Silas are in Berea. In fact, they've run away from Thessalonica. They've ended up in Berea and, uh, because they're being persecuted. Right, and so Paul is sent off to Athens. Right, so he's he's running away from persecution. He's 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 sent to Athens. Now you'd think that, oh, okay, listen, Paul. Uh, remember, Paul, you you you've been chased from that place because of your preaching. Now you've got in here. Uh, you should shut up. Uh-uh. Not Paul. Not somebody that is filled with the Spirit. Somebody who understands what their being in the world is all about. And so when he gets there again, verse number sixteen says he's waiting for his friends at Athens. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he's in Athens. Now this is not the Athens of an earlier period, which was an Athens that was known for the philosophers and all and was the foremost city in terms of philosophy. 
At this point in time, it's been overtaken by Tarsus and Alexandria in Africa, actually. Right? And so it still has yeah, that reputation of being a place of, of philosophy and all, but it's not the foremost city. And as Paul is walking around that city, he sees all these different statues. And it is said that the Athens of Paul's day had so many statues to so many different gods. When he saw that, he saw all those idols, there's something inside Paul that was provoked. There's something inside Paul that felt this is not just right. Hallelujah. Because Paul understands that there is one true God. And that all these other idols, all these other gods, they really are demons pretending to be gods. And so Paul is provoked in his heart. He's touched in his heart. You know, that ought to be the reaction of every Christian when they see the lost and they see the lost running after their gods. Amen. See, a God, a God is what you put as number one in your life. Amen. So we may not have statues and whatever, but a God is that thing that you put as number one in your life. And isn't it true that all around us there are people that are chasing after different kinds of gods? The gods of materialism, or let me have money, let me have things, let me have that car, let me have that phone, let me have dress, let me have all these different things. Because when I do that, I feel like I'm a somebody. Paul, in his heart, he was provoked by the idols that he saw. What idols provoke you? Or is it that you and I have come at a point that we're so used to the idols, we, we've made peace with the idols? So we see the idols of drunkenness, the idols of greediness, the idols of, uh, of um, the sexual morality. And we say, well, that's just the way the world is. Uh-uh, we ought not to come there. Because if we come at that point, we will not be able to bring about God's redemptive purposes in the earth. And so inside his spirit, he is provoked. Inside him, he is provoked. And so we're told in verse number 17, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So what did he do? How did he react to the thing that was inside him? This, uh, this uncomfortability inside him with all the idols that he saw. He said he, it says he started reasoning. See, he's in Athens. In Athens, you reason. Hallelujah. In Athens, you reason. In Athens, you just don't say by faith, by faith. No. In Athens, you, you think things through. You explain things. This is like a university city. Amen. Right? A university town where people are educated, where people are thinking about lofty, high ideas. And so he starts reasoning. Reasoning. Now, a lot of people think that Christianity or faith is, is, uh, is opposed to reason. That no, if, you have a, if you're a person of faith, there's no reason. If faith doesn't make sense, you just go by faith and whatever. Very wrong. The Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter number 3, I think verse number 15, basically says that you should be able, you should be ready to give a reason for what you believe. You should be able, you should be ready rather, to give a reason for what you believe. Hallelujah. In other words, God expects you to use your brain. Amen. Tell your neighbor, God expects you to use your brain in explaining your faith. Right? So, watch what he's doing. He's reasoning in the synagogue. In the synagogue, obviously, he's reasoning with the Jews and also the devout persons. Who are devout persons? These are people that are not fully circumcised as Jews, but they're Gentiles that actually believe in the God of, of Jacob, uh, the God of Israel. 
right? And so in the synagogue, he, he reasons with them. But he doesn't stop there. Watch, he says that he goes to the marketplace. So every day he's in the marketplace and he's reasoning with those who are there. Amen. You know, our faith is not really your Christianity. Your faith is not for Sunday. It's not for the synagogue only. Amen. It's not for church only. No, 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 no. Your faith actually is one that should go to every place that God has sent you to. The marketplace where he has sent you to. The office where he has sent you to. The classroom where he has sent you to. The neighborhood which you're a part of. God wants that gospel to get there. Because there are a lot of people that are lost in that neighborhood. Hallelujah. Does anybody not know? Is there anybody here who does not know somebody who's not born again? Nobody. In other words, we all know somebody that is not saved. We all know somebody who is lost. What does lost mean? It means they're going to hell when they die. It means they're going to spend eternity in hell apart from God. It means that if they're your parent, if they're your, your sibling, if they're your, your uncle, if they're your workmate, they are going to spend eternity in hell. And guess what? God has put you in their life so that you can be the person that tells them about their salvation in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. You are the answer to their eternal destiny. God has set you there so that you can be the person that tells them about Jesus. But the question is, are you provoked enough in your spirit? Are you provoked enough in your spirit? Do you have a compassion for them? Do you, do you feel the fact that they are going to go to hell and spend an eternity without God? First of all, there must be, there is the provocation, the provocation to witness. Number two, I want you to watch the preoccupation of witness. The preoccupation of witness. Witness counters false philosophies and focuses on Christ. Right? Witness counters false teachings, false philosophies, and focuses on Christ. So we hear in verse number 18, it says, Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also converse with him. Now, these are philosophers, so they're conversing with Paul. In other words, Paul is worth conversing with. Amen. You know, you hear some people say something, and you feel like, ah, I can't even answer that. That's, that's nonsense. Ever, ever been in that situation? Yeah, I can't answer that. That's nonsense. That's childish thinking. Well, not Paul. Paul's thinking was not childish. It was, it was such thinking, such Christian thinking, that the Epicurean philosophers and the Stoic philosophers, they started wanting to hear more of what he had to say. Now, the Epicureans, their view of life was pretty much life is a party. Life is about enjoying yourself. So don't hold back. Do that thing that's going to bring you pleasure because that's what life is about. It's a party. And for them, God was distant. God was, you know, one that had created things and or the gods had created things and left and let them to be. And so that everything just, you know, went on according to forces and, you know, the, the, the forces of nature, things like gravity and whatever. That's, that's the way the world works. That's how they understood it. On the opposite end were the Stoics. The Stoics who understood life to be about, you know, the suffering and, you know, endure suffering. And they were pretty much the opposite of the, of the Epicureans. But watch, both of these opposite philosophies are taken up by what Paul has to say. And so, again, verse number 18, 
Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also converse with him. And some said, what does this babla wish to say? Now a babla, really, would, uh, that word would, 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 would literally means uh, chicken that is picking at all sorts of different things. Right? And it's really a put down because they're basically saying, mm, look at this guy, this babla. He's got a little philosopher from there, another one from there, a little idea from there, there and he's just putting it all together. Who's this guy? What does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Now others were saying, well, he's, he's preaching other gods. Now, that may sound maybe not innocent enough for us, but in those days, it was quite a dangerous claim. In fact, it was Socrates who was killed because he was, he was accused of preaching foreign divinities. Right? And so, here it is. Here they are saying all sorts of things about Paul. But they're saying all that. Why? Look at verse number 18 at the end. Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. What was he preaching? Jesus and the resurrection. Now it could be they're thinking that Jesus and the resurrection are two different kinds of gods. Right? Because uh, G uh, resurrection is the word anastasis. Anastasia, that friend of yours, Anastasia, well, means resurrection, anastasis. And so they're thinking probably that, oh, he's talking about this Jesus. And then he's, he's also talking about this anastasis. These are foreign divinities. But verse number 19 says, And they took him and brought him to the Aeropagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is, is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. So they take him to the council. Now, the Aeropagus is the hill of Aris, literally, that's what it means, the hill of Aris. So they take him there, not so much on the hill, but the council that sat there. Now, again, this is a council of people that are thinkers, right? Paul has distinguished himself in what he is saying, that he has attracted the, the, the attention of the philosophers of the day. Sometimes Christianity doesn't make sense, the way some people do Christianity today, isn't it? It almost makes you think that this is a faith for people that don't think, right? So somebody claims that they're walking in the air. It's like, come on, really? And then I saw this other video of this, I guess, so-called man of God. I don't know where it is, somewhere in West Africa, I think. Well, he's brought a barrel that's full of water, and he's dipped himself in the water, and then he comes out, and then he... He dips himself back in again, and then there are all these members. This is during church service, by the way. Then there are all these members that are coming to, uh, with, uh, with bottles and, uh, and, um, and glasses of, uh, so that they can take that water and drink that water because it is holy water. Come on, nonsense. That's not thinking. I mean, that's disgusting, isn't it? And that's the sad part about Christianity today, isn't it? Right? It looks like. People don't think in Christianity. And sometimes when you start thinking, even your fellow Christians will start saying, no, 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 it's not, it's, it's, it's not about reasoning. It's about faith. Nonsense. Nonsense. See, our Christianity is a reasoning Christianity. It's a reasoning Christianity. We don't believe in, in, uh, in cunningly devised fables. The things that we believe are things that are truthful. They have evidence to them. Hallelujah. And so they take him out there. And verse number 21 says, Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. These guys are about, okay, what's the latest ideas? 
Now, please, don't, don't look down on ideas. Because ideas, they stay on. Ideas last forever. Yeah. Worthy ideas last forever. Thinking, a good ideas, thinking good thoughts last forever. Because in any case, the, the building block for action are thoughts. Isn't it? As a man thinks, so is he, say Jesus. We should not neglect the life of the mind. We should not neglect thinking. In fact, Christians should be at the heart of good thinking. When you look at their early scientists, the people that were involved in the scientific revolution, were actually people that believed in God. They believed because God created the world, the world has a design. And that the scientist, his job, her job, is to find out the design that God has set in the earth and manipulate that for the betterment of humanity. In other words, Christians must be the people that bring about the solutions to the problems of Malawi. Hallelujah! Yes, yes, yes. Your intelligence, your, 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 your inventions and whatever really are supposed to be for the betterment because you're coming from the standpoint that says that God has created the universe and there's order in the universe. And so I should find out what the order is and manipulate that so that I can do something that is helpful for my people. Sad, we have a non-thinking Christianity. Not so with Paul. But I want you to notice, in all this argumentation, in all this speaking that Paul is speaking uh, before the philosophers, the focus is on Jesus and the resurrection. He's not arguing for the sake of arguing. He's pointing to Jesus and the resurrection. Number one, I said, the provocation to witness. And I'm talking about four concepts you should know about open doors to witness. So first one, the provocation to witness. And then number two, the preoccupation of witness. And then number three, the preaching for witness. Witness begins with where people are and points them to God's salvation. Hallelujah. You always start with where people are and you point them to God's salvation. Now I want you to watch this. We've got about nine speeches, nine sermons that are in the book of Acts, right? Um, is it nine or ten? Well, but one is by Stephen, three by Peter, and you have about six by Paul, right? In this one, Paul is speaking to Gentiles. He's not speaking to a Jewish audience. And so his starting point is going to be different because he's speaking to people who don't even know the, who don't even know the Old Testament. Watch the way that he starts, verse number 22. And, and here, please understand, this is Paul. The guy that's been chased from one city goes to another city. He starts preaching again. He gets chased from there. He goes to another city. He starts preaching again. I mean, here is a place where they've actually given him an invitation. Hallelujah. I mean, everywhere else, he has to fight for a pulpit, fight for a platform. But now, they've actually invited him to speak to the ruling council, to speak to the intelligentsia. Paul must love this. So Paul... Standing in the midst of the Aeropagus, I'm sure, pumped up, filled with the Holy Spirit, says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Watch the way that he starts. He commends them, Oh, you are very religious people. 
And he says, listen, as I was going around, I saw that there is this, this, this statue to the unknown God. So I want to tell you about this unknown God. Now, it is said that in Athens, there had been a time, a long time back, where there had been a plague. And they had tried to sacrifice to all the different gods, but to no avail, the plague was still going on, raging on. Until somebody said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We'll, we'll get um, a herd of goats, and wherever these goats would stop, are going to stop and, 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 uh, and eat something, we're going to build an altar there to the unknown god. And so they did that, and the plague stopped. And so when Paul starts saying to the unknown god, he's, he, he's speaking their language. They understand what he's talking about. Hallelujah. Listen, good witnessing always has with it the idea that I want to connect to the lived experience of the person I'm witnessing to. Nobody likes to be scratched where they're not itching. Amen. I mean, you, you, you can't be telling somebody who doesn't even have a child and, and, and sharing with them and thinking that you tell them how losing a child is something that is, is disastrous and you identify with them. They don't even have a child. They're 16 years old. You find something that they can connect with, and from that thing that they can connect with, that's when you launch your preaching, your witness. And that's where Paul starts off. He starts off with where they are at, and he's pointing them to God. Watch what he, what he says about God, verse number 24. What, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life, breath, and everything. What's he saying? He says, listen, God is the one who's the creator. God is the creator. He created all the things. Right? He created everything that you see. And then he says, well, God uh, does not need anybody. He's self-sufficient, verse number 24. Uh, verse number 25, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Please, don't you ever come at a point of thinking that God needs your worship? Do you know God doesn't need you? Hallelujah. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need your worship. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need anything. See, if God needs something, then he's not God. Because to be God is that he's God all by himself, and he doesn't depend, his existence does not depend on anything or anybody. And so he's pointing them to the fact that, look, this God is not like your gods that you, 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 come, up from, you come up with from your own imaginations. This one does not need anybody to sustain him. Verse number 26, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Now Paul is saying, listen, God is, is the one who created humanity. Now I want you to watch. Humanity came from one person. All human beings, black, pink, never seen a white person yet, have you? Black, pink, brown, yellow, whatever color, they came from one person. One person. And here is a reminder for us that no, 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 racism is not something that comes from God. Unfortunately, there have been episodes in the history of the church where the church has actually been racist. Yes, yes. No, all of us have come from one person. We have come from one man, the person that God created. And watch what he says. He says that God has created boundaries and periods for nations. 
In other words, Malawi is not here by chance or by accident. Amen. It's not by chance, by accident that Malawi is here. Malawi is here in God's divine ordination. He has said that Malawi should be here. You're not, by here by, you're, you're not here by chance or by accident. God has set you to be here. So he's a God who orders things. And then verse number 27 says that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each of us. Right? And so here, Paul is saying, look, uh, God has, has a mission to save people. Right? He has a mission to save people because he, they, he wants them, he wants people to seek him. He wants, he, he wants people to seek him and he's not far. So the picture that is given here is that these people or humanity is like groping in the dark. Not really able to find the, the, the thing that they're looking for. They're groping in the dark. But God is not far. God is near. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, that's the other thing you and I need to remember. The people around us that do not know Jesus, they really want God. They really want God. They just don't know it. They just don't know it. I mean, you find people that are saying, oh, if I can just get married to a man who's like this and like this and like this, and they have their very high standards that no man, no human being can ever be. What does that tell you? They're looking for something more than human. I mean, who wouldn't want a relationship or a, a, a marriage where, you know, th that person is always faithful to you, that person will always do things you like, that person will never do anything bad, that person is always smiling at you, that person is always encouraging you. Who wouldn't want that? Everybody would want that. But where will you find a person like that? You won't. You won't find a person like that. I mean, I'm just waiting. So you got, oh, you got all these things this criteria, you say, the woman I'm going to marry is going to be like this, and it's going to be like this, and it's going to be like... Yeah, that's why you're still here, and she's not here, because she doesn't exist. You get it? But look, the yearning of the human heart is really the yearning for God. And so the non-believer doesn't understand it, that the only one that can feel them, the only one that can love them, the way they want to be loved is actually God. They're looking for God, they just don't know it. They're groping in the dark for God. And so Paul says, no, he's not very far. Verse 27, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not actually, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are, we are indeed his offspring. Now watch what Paul does here. He starts quoting poets. Still connecting with them. Still speaking the language. So he quotes a, a poem from Epimenides of Crete, the, the part where it says, In him we live and move and have our being. And then probably, for we are indeed his offspring, is a quote from Aretas. So watch Paul. Always connecting. Always speaking the language of the people that he is trying to connect with. And here's a question for you. When you witness, do you take the time to find out where, where this person is? What do they like? What are they about? What drives them? How is it that they see the world? Through what prism, through what lens do they see the world? And that you get into the way that they see the world. And from there, you start sharing with them what the gospel is about. That's what Paul is doing here. 
And so, verse number 29 says, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. So he says, look, when it comes to God, don't think that God is like his creature. Amen. God is not like his creature or his creatures. God is a creator. He has no beginning. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anybody. The creature has a beginning. The creature must be sustained by God. And so then, you cannot make an image of God that is like things that are created. So verse number 30, watch, he says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. What times of ignorance? When people chased after all these different idols, God calls that or allowed that, you know, there, there would be, yeah, those things going on. But now that the truth has come in Jesus Christ, he's calling all people to repent. Now I want you to watch this. The way that this sermon is, it doesn't seem like he's talking about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Why? Well, remember Paul has been arguing with these people or telling these people about Jesus and the resurrection. Right? And so then, he has been explaining all that and this here is a brief statement of what he has already been saying. Again, verse number 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So he says, then, up until this point in time, God has, uh, has allowed that things can go on, but now he's calling all people to repent because there's judgment day coming. Do you know the good news is very much about the bad news? The good news is about the bad news. In fact, there is no good news without the bad news. Here's the bad news. All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all of us are really supposed to be punished. We deserve to be punished by God. We deserve eternal punishment for our sin. That's the bad news. One day, God, who started this whole thing called the world, is going to end it, and he's going to judge He's going to ask for an account of every life and how that life has been lived. And he's going to do that in righteousness. And God's standard of righteousness is not my standard of righteousness or your standard of righteousness. You know, in our culture, we have our own standard of righteousness, right? Oh, I'm coming. Where are you right now? No, I'm by the bridge. And you're not anywhere near the bridge. And so... The righteousness of God is a higher righteousness. And that's the judgment by which he's going to come. You and I can, can excuse people in our lives. And we do that, isn't it? We can say, well, you know, yeah, he's a really honest guy. You know, even though he's not a believer, but he's a really honest guy. Honest guys are going to go to hell. Well, she's a really nice person. Even though she's not a believer, nice people are going to go to hell. Oh, that person is really nice to me. Oh, that person does this for me and does that for me. Yes, that person, if they do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you do not share the gospel with them, they are going to go to hell. And guess what? I think God will, keep, will, will ask you of an account. There were all these people around you that needed to hear about Jesus. In fact, I promoted you to that place of prominence in that company so that you can be a godly influence. But what did you do? I put you in that place to be the teacher 
so that you can bring about a godly influence in that classroom so that kids would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. But what did you do? Hallelujah. Ask your neighbor, is it striking home? Watch. And he has given assurance of this, that he's going to judge the living and the dead by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection is the proof, the reality of Christianity. That Christianity is true is based on the resurrection. You cannot speak of the good news without the resurrection. What is it that people are scared of? What is it that people don't want to happen in their lives? Death. Death. If we were to say, oh, next week, please come. The first thing we're going to do after the call to praise, we're going to have macra testing people's blood to see, you know, our serostatus, HIV uh, status. Ah, we will not find a lot of people here. Because a lot of people think that, oh, as long, when they tell me that I'm HIV positive, I'm dead. But you know you're a death waiting to happen. You know, you will die, I will die. Nobody stays on forever, isn't it? And so at the end of the day, let's remember, people are really scared of death. And the answer to death, the fear of death, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That if you put your trust in him, just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will also, with him, raise you from the dead when he comes back. And so that's what he's preaching. That's what the gospel is. That's what the testimony is about. You know, the sad thing would be to go before God and God ask you, how, how many people did you win for me? And you really have nobody that you can point to. No, it cannot be. If you're a Christian, you must have people that you have brought into the kingdom of God. People you have testified to. That Christianity is not just about you. It's about other people coming into the kingdom. He saved you so that you can be an instrument of the salvation of others. I want you to watch number four. The product in witness. Witness may result in rejection, procrastination, or believing. Watch what happens after Paul preaches. He says, verse number 32, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we'll hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Watch the three responses. Other people said, they mocked. Other people mocked. Mocking, they rejected. When you witness, listen, when you witness, there will be those that will mock your witness. In fact, please, expect to be mocked. If you want to be the popular one, who makes everybody laugh and happy and everything, witnessing is not for you. Maybe Christianity is not for you. Because you see, truth makes a lot of people mad, isn't it? Truth makes a lot of people mad. When you start telling people you're greedy, you're a glutton, when you start telling them you're a liar, when you start telling them you're a thief, people don't like to hear that. But how will they get to the good news if they don't know the bad news of their condition before God, the condition of their souls before God? Right? And so they will reject. You know, many of us fear rejection. 
Do you know when they reject your witness, they're not rejecting you? They are rejecting God. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. Let's not hold back and think that, oh, you know, I, I don't think I'll even share the gospel with them because that person is going to reject this. Listen, you and I are called to present the witness. Whether that person accepts what we have to say, rejects what we have to say, procrastinates about what we have to say, none of our business. We are called to share the gospel to be a witness. So some mocked. Others procrastinated and said, well, we'll, we'll, we'll hear you again on this matter. Do you have friends like those? You've told them the gospel. Say, ah, maybe it's not now. I remember the first time I, I shared the gospel with somebody, my friend, very good friend. He told me, you know what? Maybe this is your time for you to be born again. It's not my time right now. And I felt rejected. I felt like, man, I don't know if, I'm, if I want to share this anymore because, I mean, he's my very good friend and he's rejected me. No. Their reaction is not any of my business. What God has called me to do is to share the gospel with them. Right? So they procrastinate. And then others... Watch out. There are people that God has set that they're going to say yes to the gospel. Amen. God has his elect. Amen. God has his chosen. How do you know the chosen? You don't know the chosen. When you share the gospel, the chosen will respond to the gospel and receive Jesus Christ as, as Lord and Savior. And so here is Paul in Athens where you think with all these philosophers, with all these sophisticated people, there would not be anybody that would say, I want Jesus to come into my life. And yet we have. Because we're told that a gentleman called Dionysius, the Aeropagite, meaning to say he was part of this ruling council, he believed. Amen. And not only him, there was also a woman named Damaris who also believed. Now it is said that if a woman were to be prominent in a city like Athens, probably she may have been a prostitute or a foreigner. Hey, it doesn't matter. She has received Jesus Christ. Amen. The gospel is for everybody. Amen. It's not just for the men. No, it's also for the women. In fact, in the gospel, there is an elevation of women. Because in the gospel, there is neither in Christ, there is neither male nor female, slave nor free. No, all of us are in Christ Jesus. And so, here's this woman, Damaris. She becomes saved. And he says, and others with them. Others with them. Now, look the way that look. Brings up Damaris. There are others, I'm sure. There are a lot more men, isn't it? But he doesn't mention them. He mentions this woman, Damaris. Listen. Your witness to the gospel, your sharing the gospel with somebody may result in somebody getting saved. You may just be the instrument that God wants to bring that person to faith in Christ. Sometimes we share the gospel and people don't respond the way that they should. Do you know sometimes you're just broadcasting and just planting seed? And somebody else gets the harvest? I've had some people, I've shared the gospel so many times, never responded, never responded. And then, boom, five years later, I find out that, huh, he's born again. Huh, he's an elder in the church. What happened? Oh, God just used me to sow the seed. And somebody else harvested the seed. What's my point? Let us not be people that shrink back from sharing the gospel. In fact, when we do share the gospel, let's ensure that we ask for a decision. Would you receive Jesus Christ now? 
because nobody has a contract with God that says that on such such a day I'm going to die. Nobody. And if anybody dies without making this profession of faith in Christ Jesus, that person is lost to an eternal hell. You know what this is calling us to do? It's calling us to take witnessing very seriously because God takes witnessing very seriously. The reason he sent his son to die on the cross is so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How will they believe in him? They'll only believe in him when you share the gospel with them. I want to challenge you. Let's make 2020 a year of sharing the gospel. Let's make it a year of witnessing. Thank you for listening to the Kairos Lolongwe podcast. I trust you've been blessed. Please do us a favor and share this podcast with friends on Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, and whatever social media you're on. May the Lord break you through into your kingdom destiny. Blessings.